So let's turn to the scriptures for a few verses for a basis of our reading. The prophecy of Isaiah, please. Book of Isaiah, chapter 31. 31. And as it says, it'll be well used to me. Sometimes I get a little bit uh, excited, loud, and carried away. Don't be afraid to turn me down, Claire, if you feel that. You know, I won't be taking offense. You, you need to guard your ears sometimes. Just a few verses, Isaiah 31, beginning to read at verse 4. For thus saith the Lord, for thus hath the, pardon me, for thus hath the Lord spoken unto me, like as a lion and the young lion roaring upon his prey, when a multitude of shepherds is called forth against him. He will not be afraid of their voice, nor base himself for the noise of them. So shall the Lord of hosts come down to fight for Mount Zion and for the hill thereof. As birds flying, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. Defending also, he will deliver it. And passing over, he will preserve it. Turn ye unto him from whom the children of Israel have deeply revolted. Let's just pray again. Father, we ask you now to shut each and every one of us in with thine own good self. Lord, that whatever is brought to our memories and to our minds, whatever, Lord, would distract us, we pray now, Father, you would enable us to focus upon your most holy word. And we ask you, Lord, to bless and encourage your people. We ask you, Lord, that you would help us to see the days that we live in in this prophecy conference Oh Lord, that your son is, uh, Lord, coming soon. And we pray that all would be ready, saved and washed in the blood of the Lamb, trusting in the finished work of Christ for their salvation. So, Father, tonight we ask you, bless and encourage your people. Anoint thine own word. For Jesus' name's sake we pray. Amen. These verses that we read, Isaiah 31, verses 4, 5, and six, they're profound. They're in there, and if you just read past them and think they're just, well, they're historical verses, and that's the end of it. There was a fulfillment, in a sense, in some of it, where we read in verse 7, the Lord says, For in that day every man shall cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which your own hands have made unto you for a sin. Notice verse 8, Then shall the Assyrian fall with the sword, not of a mighty man, and with the sword, not of a mean man shall devour him, but he shall flee from the sword, and his young men shall be discomfited. Now, we're going to look at some prophecy and Bible teaching, and as we do, it's important that we, we do this as a basis. So you might be thinking, where is he taking me tonight? And if you stay with me, we're going to show you that God's plan is, was bigger than just Jerusalem here. God's plan is bigger than just a local application God's plan was bigger than just a historical setting in this time. This is around 700, 750 so years BC when this was written. And so just upon them was coming the enemy of the Assyrians and God would use them for his people Israel to chastise them, to take them away captive. But God also promised something else that in verse 5, as birds flying, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. And we don't know if there's any literal application in that day. We have no record of it. So it must yet have been going to come to pass. So that's what we want to look at. It's profound. 
uh, these verses, there's more to it than the word profound means something deep. Profound means something far below the surface. It means something penetrating deeply into knowledge. And so when God shows us this on face value, we can see something as he's telling us that he told ancient Israel in Jerusalem, Judah and I at this place, and ancient Israel, the, the northern kingdom, are gone. We'll look at this in a moment. And whenever he's speaking to them, you can see the literal application of the Assyrians coming and taking them away. But there's also another application for the latter days. And it's already happened not so long ago. As I mentioned last night, 2017 is the 100-year anniversary at the end of this year of what we are going to look at this evening, the significance of the year 1917. It's the 100-year anniversary this year, 2017. It's also the 500-year anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. We'll look at that uh, in prophecy during the week. And, of course, it's the 50-year anniversary of the Six-Day War, which was in 1967. And there's so many anniversaries that are happening, but we want to look at this tonight, and we want to show you that God kept his word when he said he would. For example, in Isaiah 31 and verse 4, it speaks of the power of God. In verse 5, it speaks of the protection of God. And in verse 6, it speaks of the preservation and the perseverance of God. Notice in verse 4, it says, For thus saith the Lord, thus hath the Lord, pardon me, I'm just trying to find it difficult, it's a bit dark there. For thus hath the Lord spoken unto me, like as the lion and the young lion roaring on his prey. When a multitude of shepherds is called forth against him, he will not be afraid of their voice, nor abase himself for the noise of them. So shall the Lord of hosts come down to fight for Mount Zion and for the hill thereof. Here is the power of the Lord coming down to show himself strong on the behalf of his people. Secondly, we have then the, the, the protection of God. As birds flying, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. Defending also, he will deliver it. Passing over, he will preserve it. So now we have the preservation of God. And then get into the next verse, we have the perseverance of God. In verse 6, Turn ye unto him from whom the children of Israel have deeply revolted. In other words, God's perseverance with them was he was long-suffering until the judgment was meted out. And we can see that in our nation today. We can see it in Britain, in Ireland. We can see it in America where God has been long-suffering with people who should have known better. And God has preserved. God has protected. God has raised them up and blessed them in the earth. And yet they have turned away from the Lord who formed them. Now this is very important for where we are going to go this evening. Let's look then at the scripture, shall we? We think of here where it says, As birds flying, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. The idea here of birds flying gives a, a picture in the Hebrew language of a bird fluttering over her nest. Of a bird with her wings extended fluttering over her brood, over 
her young ones, protecting them. And the Lord says, I'll do that with Jerusalem. Yet, Jerusalem was taken away by their enemy Babylon in later on years because of their sin. And then and when we read of them being taken away, what happens is they come back again. About 42,000 come back from Babylon and their temple is rebuilt. And we read of Nehemiah and we read of Ezra. And we read then of years later of the Lord Jesus Christ coming from the tribe of Judah. Now I notice this, it says that the Lord is like a young lion. Christ is known as the lion of the tribe of Judah. But also in this, we see him as a fluttering, brooding bird. Now then there's a prophetic sense we'll look at in a moment. This makes me think of Matthew chapter 23 and verse 37. When the Lord Jesus stood crying over Jerusalem and he cried, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen doth gather her chickens under her wings. And ye would not, he says. He said to the Jews in Jerusalem, you wouldn't come to me. How often, even in the days of the prophets, did you kill them? You stoned them. You turned them away. And now God himself, the Son of God, has come. And he says to them, you've rejected me. And he says, how often would I have gathered you as a hen doth gather her chickens together under her wings, and you wouldn't come. And then he says in the next verse, behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Notice your house, your temple, your worship is no longer void before God. It hadn't been in proper service for years before him. And now he says, enough is enough, your your, your house or your temple is made void. Now after the resurrection of Christ in AD 70, Titus the Roman governor or prince came into Jerusalem with his Roman armies and he sacked Jerusalem. He went to the temple and he ordered that the gold be taken out of the temple and as the temple was burnt, they set it in fire. The gold melted and ran down between the great stones of the temple and the order was given. Tear the temple down stone by stone. And it fulfilled the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Destroy this temple. He says one stone will not be left upon another. And so they pulled it down one stone upon it from another to get out the gold. And we read about this in the Gospels. And this all came to pass after the Lord Jesus had said these words. So here we see him saying there's protection under my wings. There's protection if you come to me. If you trust, does that mean it's an airy, furry faith? Does that mean it's just a matter of saying, oh, well, then we'll just believe in you. No, the idea is, he says, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to shed my blood and I'm going to pay the debt you can't pay and keep the law that you can't keep, the law of God, that is. He says, and I'm going to die in your room, in your stead, and I'm going to be your ransom. He says that if you trust in me, if you fully, wholeheartedly, completely, totally, solely, uniquely, and only put your trust in me, you will be saved and you will be redeemed. And he says, but you won't. Now, I don't know everyone here. Maybe we're all believers coming to a prophecy meeting. But could I ask you, are you saved? It's not that I go to church. It isn't that I turn up at, the, at Maranatha to, to the prophecy conference. It isn't anything to do with that. 
It's are you saved? Have you been to Calvary's cross? Are you trusting in the finished work of Christ? Are you saying the blood of Jesus was enough to pay for the debt of my sin and the blood of Christ and Christ alone? And he's not looking at your denomination. And he's not looking if you're a Protestant. He's not looking at you're a Catholic. And he's not wanting to know in whatever religion or faith you come from. How good or bad or hardworking you may be. He says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In other words every single one of us of Adam's race have broken the law of God. And we miss the mark of God and his standard. Every single one of us from this man to every one of us here. Everyone from Adam. And we must ask you, are you saved? You must trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, will you come to me? There's no other temple. There's no church. There's no denomination. There's no pastor. There's no preacher. There's no minister. There's no priest. There's no pope. There's no queen. There's no king. There's no governor. There's no president. There's no prime minister. There's no one can save you but Christ and Christ alone. It's only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when Jesus says, you would not behold your houses left unto you desolate. And when then Titus, the Roman governor, came and he pulled the bricks down, that was the end of the Jewish nation. That was them scattered once and for all. And before that, in the Old Testament, we're going to show you this. The house of Israel were scattered years before this. Then Judah were scattered and came back. And now that remnant, they had, they had taken commandments of men and mingled it with the true worship that God had ordained in the temple. And the worship was mongrelized. And Jesus called it the traditions of men. And he says, these can't save you. And you see, the traditions of men can't save you either. Doesn't matter where you're from, an orange tradition or a green tradition. It doesn't matter what your tradition. Traditions of men do not save. The blood of Christ alone saves. And the blood of Christ alone can pay your debt. But notice this. He says that they wouldn't come. They are then scattered. The, the, the Roman soldiers crucified and slew, slew many of them and carried them away captive. And in fact, if you go to Italy today, to Rome, there's an arch, and it's called the Arch of Titus. And it's depicting uh, Titus and his army carrying away the Jews there, carrying them away captive after they had destroyed the temple. Notice this but about the fluttering off the wings. Deuteronomy 32 says, the Lord says to Israel in ancient times, As an eagle stirreth up her nest, and fluttereth over her youngs and spreadeth broad her wings and takes them and bears them on her wings. He says, I will be like you if you trust in me. And Israel, they turned away from their God. Now Isaiah comes along after and says, as birds flying, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. Defending also he will deliver it. And passing over he will preserve it. And so God not only willing to show him dealing with Jerusalem then, then he also shows his dealing with Jerusalem in the latter days also. I wonder if you would turn with me in the scriptures to the book of Leviticus, please. We're going to now start digging into the scriptures. And what I want you to do is I want you to try, and if you can keep up with me, I'll try and make it as simple as I can. It's not that 
that I'm so clever, it's just that I'm just used to preaching it and writing it and studying it. It's just sometimes it's hard to take in. But if you can stay with me, let's go to Leviticus 26. Notice what God says to all Israel. Notice what he says, Leviticus 26, and we must just jump down through the chapter just for time's sake. That's where I run down to verse 18. The Lord says unto them, And if ye will not yet for all this hearken unto me, I will punish you seven times more for your sin. Now I notice that term. I will punish you seven times more for your sin. Let's arrive on down to verse 22. And if you walk contrary unto me and will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your sins. Let your eye run down to verse 24. Then will I also walk contrary unto you, and I will punish you seven times for your sins. Verse 28. Then I will walk contrary unto you also in fury, and I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. Let your eye now run down to verse 32. And I will bring the land into desolation, and your enemies which dwell therein shall be astonished at it, and I will scatter you among the heathen. Now, God said that. God said it, and you read that chapter. If you walk contrary to me, I'll walk contrary to you. Do you know why Britain is in such a sad and sorry state? Because they're walking contrary to the Lord. And that's what's wrong with us. Because we're walking contrary to the Lord. Wickedness is all over our nation. From government level right down. Wickedness is all over Downing Street. Wickedness is all over the European Union. Wickedness is all over the White House. And the problem is, is the wickedness there. But the church, as I said last night, the church has allowed it to be so. And as goes the church, so goes the nation. And so we find this, that the Lord said, I will punish you seven times. Now note the number. I will punish you seven times. Please take a, a mark that down or take a mental note of it. So then in history, Israel form as a nation. And they're in the promised land. And they then have kings like of, of David and Solomon. And then something happens. First Kings chapter 11, please. I'm bringing you somewhere, so please stay with me. Because this is important for time scales for prophecy. This is the main key of prophecy that people seem to leave out or don't know about. First Kings chapter 11. And just let your eye run down to verse 29. And I will explain what's happening when we read some verses and it came to pass at that time when jeroboam went out of jerusalem that the prophet ahijah the shilonite found him in the way and he had clad himself with a new garment and they two were alone in the field and ahijah caught the new garment that was on him and rent it in 12 pieces and he said to jeroboam take thee 10 pieces for thus saith the lord the god of israel Behold, I will rend the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give ten tribes to thee. But he shall have one tribe for my servant David's sake and for Jerusalem's sake, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, because they have forgotten me and have worshipped Ashtoreth, the, 
the goddess of the Sidonians, and Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Milcom, the god of, uh, the god of the children of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do that which is right in mine eyes, and to keep my statutes and my judgments as did David his father. How be it? I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him prince all the days of his life for David my servant's sake, whom I choose because he kept my commandments and my statutes, but I will take the kingdom out of the hand of his sons. Now note the words here. I will take the kingdom out of the hands of his sons and will give it unto, give unto thee even ten tribes. And unto his son will I give one tribe that David my servant may have a light always before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen me to put my name there. And I will take thee, and thou shalt reign according to all that thy soul deserve, and shall be king over Israel. Now I notice here, let me explain what's happening. King David, the one who wrote the Psalms, the sweet psalmist and singer of Israel, the prophet, this king over all of Israel now, he's dead, his son Solomon reigns in his stead. Solomon then passes away. His son, David's grandson, Rehoboam, is now the king in Jerusalem. And because he's the king in Jerusalem, this man Jeroboam, who was Solomon's, uh, he was a young man who, who Solomon reared up to be a great young man. He was like a great servant to Solomon. But because he got on the wrong side of him, he, he, he ran away and he hid himself. Then he comes back again when Solomon's gone and Rehoboam, Solomon's son, is on the throne. And so Rehoboam, he's been uh, laying heavy taxes, if you want, and burdens upon the people. And so there's a revolt. And Jeroboam comes as this leader, this young upright standing man whom Solomon thought was great. And he comes and he had already done his homework in the northern area of Israel. And he comes down with people behind him and says, cut the taxes and do this and do that. And you know, cut the bedroom tax, whatever it was at the time. And, and Rehoboam says, I will chastise you. My father chastised you with whips. I will chastise you with scorpions. In other words, I'll be even harder on you since you're rebelling. But now this young man, Jeroboam, in our reading, he's out walking and he's got a new garment on him. And as he's got this new garment on him, Ahijah the prophet meets him on the road and he takes his new garment off him and he rips it into 12 pieces. Now you can imagine that, someone pulling your good coat off you and starting to rip it into 12 pieces. It was very demonstrative. In other words, God wanted him to know something and to understand. And he takes 10 of those pieces and he gives it to Jeroboam and he says, they're for you. Each piece represents a tribe, 10 tribes. There's your 10 pieces. He says, but here's two pieces left. David, my servant, was from the tribe of Judah. That's the line where Jesus, our Savior, comes from. And he has one tribe. But David needed a tribe to stay with him. And so for a light before David, or to help David, to guide David, he gave him another tribe. That tribe turns out to be the tribe of Benjamin. Now in later years when Jesus comes, Benjamin is in the land of Judea, with a remnant of Judah. And then there's a mixture of Jews who say they're Jews and they're not. But anyhow, they're, they're maybe religious or proselyte Jews. They're not true Judaites. Nevertheless, they're there together. And as they're there together, when Jesus comes, he brings most of the disciples from around the Sea of Galilee 
And most of them are believed to be from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, Benjamin means son of my right hand. But here, according to the scripture, they become known as the light-bearing tribe. Now, when our Lord Jesus appears to Paul by that blinding light on the road to Damascus, after his uh, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension into glory, when Jesus uh, appears to Saul, who becomes Paul, Paul tells us then that he is from the tribe of Benjamin in his epistles. So Paul then is the, 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 the apostle to the Gentiles, as it's known, or to the nations. But those nations are not just Gentile nations, but were there, he was to go to those who would be off the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so what happens is the Benjamite tribe are carrying the light still. They are called the light-bearing tribe. And it's a wonder. God's plan and God's purpose, God's word is so fantastic that even down through all of these years, God says there be a light-bearing tribe. What for? To carry the gospel, to carry it throughout the nations. Isn't God wonderful the way he can keep his word? So going back to what's happening here, the nation is splitting into two kingdoms, 10 tribes in the north and the two in the south. They become known then as two nations. They become known as two sons, two sisters, two sticks. And they they become known as two, they have two different destinies. They become under two different judgments. The Assyrians come into the northern kingdom and the Babylonians come to the southern kingdom around 100 to 120 years later. And it's this separation, and it's after this separation and the time scales put on them that the seven times punishment that we read in Leviticus 26 starts. And so I'm going to give you some figures and try and explain this. And you will, you'll see how God has worked out his plan and his purpose in the earth. So here goes some of them. This northern kingdom had a capital city called Samaria. And the southern capital city was always Jerusalem. It's a bit like if you look at Ireland, north and south, you have Belfast and Dublin. So if you think like that, there's these two capitals. Notice this. The train tribes, they sinned before God. They wouldn't listen. They stoned the prophets and killed those, as it were, that were sent unto them too. And after the prophets were sent to them, telling them to turn to God, for judgment is coming. Listen, there's a gospel in this. This was the gospel to Israel. And the gospel is here, even today, tonight, through this. That if the man and the woman don't turn to God and our Lord Jesus Christ, and aren't trusting in the blood that he shed on the cross, then judgment awaits them. It's an eternal judgment. And so we must be saved. We must be born again. But the ten tribes of the house of Israel, the northern kingdom, they were, if you can imagine, the, the, the river Jordan went right up and there were three tribes to the east side of it, up way up north and over towards the east. And those three tribes, they started being attacked as they came over towards the west from Assyria. And they started being attacked and being carried away captive. You know, we have the, the, the Syrian conflict or, or Iraq or Afghanistan at the minute. And it's not just everybody go in and take everybody out. And that's it all done. For years, they're back and forward. And it was like that the same way. They went in on horseback and they went in with chariot. And they slew people and they took them captive. Then they came and made more encroachments in and brought them out. So the main deportments of the northern kingdom were like this. The first one was in 744 
B.C. Now notice this, 744 B.C. The Lord says, if you walk contrary to me, and they had done this for years. If you walk contrary to me, he says, I'll walk contrary to you. And then he says, I will punish you seven times more for your sin. So notice the times. How do we work out the length of time for prophecy? This is the way we work it out. A circle. We can do lunar calendars and solar calendars, but that's too difficult. Let me work it out like this for you. A circle has 360 degrees. So one time is 360. Simple, isn't it? Okay. 360 multiplied by 7 because it's 7 times. It comes to 2,520. So 2,520 what? Well, we looked at it last night. A day of the Lord's with a thousand years, or a thousand years is one day, or it's a day for a year. That's the prophetic scales. And when we do a day for a year, we have 2,520 years, they would be under punishment and judgment. So when we look at the first deportment in the east as they encroached in, 744 BC, and when we take 2,520 years off that, go right down, the numbers get smaller from BC going down to the year minus one, and then crossing over, we add one for the plus one, there's no year not, and then the numbers get bigger in the AD where we are tonight. But notice, 744 BC, the numbers get smaller, and we bring it, it crosses right over to the birth of Christ, and they're still in punishment. And so it goes all out, and it finishes in the year 1776 AD. Now, what happened in the year 1776 AD? Well, what happened was the 13 seaboard colonies of the United States of America was formed. Now, notice God's bigger picture. Notice God's bigger plan. Because it's not just now around Jerusalem. He's saying this is going to be done with his plan in view. And so these, uh, this Christian nation was being formed of the 13 seaboard colonies of the United States. So we had the declaration of independence 2,520 years after it finished. Then the next deportment came in 737 BC. And when we do 2,520 years, it brings us to what is known as the recognized declaration. For the declaration of independence wasn't recognized until seven years after it was already declared. So they had declared it in the seaboard colonies and it took seven years for it to be fully recognized. And that brings us to 1783, the nation starting to rise up, uh, this Christian republic. And then 733 BC was the next deportment. And then it brings us down 2,520 years to the year 1787. Now, in 1787, the Constitution was completely and fully written in that year. Now, if that's a coincidence, then it's a mighty coincidence, isn't it? Because God is going to raise up his people. And you're going to see how God uses them to bring his word to pass. So keep this in your mind and keep this in your heart. I want you to, to get this. Okay, so then whenever they came over they kept encroaching over and to, to, to save a bit more time. In the last deportment of the house of Israel, 
The last and final deportment was in 721 BC. 721 BC. And that was the last of them taken away. Now, there were those who escaped captivity, we read about. Smidgens from tribes and little tithes, if you want, of the tribe here and there, who escaped it. And some went down toward Jerusalem. And notice this now. From 721 BC, 2,520 years later, it brings us to the year 1917. Pardon me, pardon me. I'm in the wrong year. I'm in the wrong country at the minute. It brings us to the year 1801. 1801, pardon me. I'm in the wrong country and I'm in the wrong part of Israel. 1801. And in 1801, in Great Britain, after losing the seaboard colonies, they had the Industrial Revolution. God started blessing. And when God started blessing, they couldn't contain it. And they started moving to Australia. And they started moving to New Zealand. And they started moving out to South Africa. And they started populating these areas. And God was building a strong power in the earth. Because he knew what he was going to do in the land of Israel in the latter years. And he, he knew what he would do here. Now I notice this. And stay with me please. 1801 in Britain was the year of the union of Great Britain and Ireland. Now, is that another coincidence? Now, there's a little telltale verse I want to read to you. And it just fits in so perfect. Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 49 and verse 20. Isaiah 49 and 20. Write it down or if you can get to it, listen to it. The Lord says, The children which thou shalt have, after thou hast lost the other, shall say in thine ears, the place is too straight for me that I might dwell. What does he mean by that? In Great Britain, the children that they lost were the 13 colonies of the United States. And through the Industrial Revolution, they're saying this place is too small for us. We're a population explosion. He says it's too straight or too narrow. It's getting too small. Let us go out. And they went out to Australia, New Zealand and South Africa. And the common or the empire started to be built, which then turns into what? Which is now known as the Commonwealth. The great Commonwealth. Now, would that be in Scripture? Listen to what Genesis 35 and verse 11, the promise to Jacob. Notice this. The Lord says, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply a nation and a company of nations. A nation and a commonwealth of nations, it means shall be of thee and kings shall come out of thy loins now where is the kings come from in the scriptures we see them come out of Jerusalem even the twisted and, and uh, the kings out of uh, the, the bad evil kings out of the house of Israel in the north they're all Israelites and that comes right through and kings come out and of course even the throne we have tonight now that throne is still a king that's come out of it. And so we, or a queen, I should say, at this time. Notice this. This means Britain was arising as a power. The United States was forming as a great nation. A commonwealth was being formed, and God had a great plan. Now, that's the seven times punishment of the northern house of Israel. Now, the southern kingdom of Judah and Jerusalem, now we're getting to where we 
uh, need to be in the southern kingdom. Notice this. Judah fall into sin. And they won't turn to the Lord and trust in him again. And they put up their idols and they worship other gods. And God says, you're going to go the same way as your sister Israel. And so Judah is where we get the name Jew from. It's a derivative name, if you want, or a nickname from it. And so he says, if you don't turn to me, he says, they're going to be carried away just the same. And Babylonians came in and they started to carry away the house of Judah. Benjamin was with them. Judah, Benjamin, and some of the Levitical tribes scattered through them. Notice the time scales now. This is important. In 606 BC, 606 BC, Jerusalem was first besieged by Nebuchadnezzar. Seven times punishment from the first carrying away. Seven times is 2,520 years. It brings us to the year 1914. What happened in 1914? The First World War happened. Things started to shake up in the earth. God, as it were, took peace. He took peace from off the earth. Then there comes another deportment and another one. And in 604 BC, Nebuchadnezzar was the sole ruler of Babylon. And he took all of Judah and Jerusalem away. By 604 BC, 2,520 years later, we bring, it brings us right to the year 1917. Now that's the year that we're looking at tonight. 1917, this is 100th year anniversary. 100 uh, is two times, or, or it is a witness of Jubilee. Now notice this, this is important. So now it brings us to the year 1917. Will you turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 21? Luke's Gospel, chapter 21. And let your eye run down just the one verse. Verse 24. The Lord Jesus says, And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive unto all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles or the nations until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. What times? What times of the Gentiles? The seven times punishment. Seven times that God said in Leviticus 26. The seven times that he carried them away from uh, right up to 604 B.C. And that will be trodden down of the Gentiles until that seven times, until that 2,520 years be fulfilled. The Romans came in AD 70, as I said, and, he, and, and they were all carried away, and the Jews were dispersed. And then after that, we had all different sorts of, of people coming and fighting and warring over Jerusalem, even the... Even the, the the wars of the crusaders came and was back and forward and back and forward with it. And then what happened was in the latter years, up around the 1800s especially, we had the Turkish Ottoman Empire. They were a Mohammedan or an Islamic empire. And they were fierce people. They were mighty warriors. And they built their kingdom from Turkey. 
And right around the fertile crescent going east would have been around where Turkey and Syria, right down into Judea or Palestine and Israel was today. They would have been right over around that fertile crescent, down around by Afghanistan and Kurdistan and down into Iraq and down into, uh, right into Iran, all around that area. And that was the Turkish Ottoman Empire. It was all Islamic. It was an Islamic caliphate. That's where you hear of ISIS wanting to have another caliphate. They're wanting it to be fully Islamic, only not just, as they would say, as, or pardon me, as some would say, uh, more of a, a soft, if there could be a soft Islamic faith, but nevertheless, they want it to be a hard Islamic caliphate. And the Ottoman Empire were an Islamic caliphate. In fact, they, like ISIS, used to slay people who were converted through the gospel of salvation and saving grace in Christ. And he won't turn to the gospel. And so when Jesus says the times of the Gentiles must be fulfilled and Jerusalem will what be trodden down, it will be, it will be taken over and it will be run by these Gentile people. So now that we are looking at the finish of these times, we see that it finished in 1917. So what happened? What happened? Okay, there's a, a, an old preacher in the 1800s from Dublin, and his name was Grattan Guinness. And yes, he's part of the Guinness Brewery family. And half of the family were Christians, and they were, uh, some of them were evangelists, especially Grattan Guinness, he was a great evangelist. And the other half of the, of the family went into the brewery business, and they make the Guinness. And so Grattan Guinness, his statue still outside Trinity College. Today, you can go down and see it there in Dublin. And Grattan Guinness had written a couple of books that are well known. One is called The Approaching End of the Age, and the other one is called Light for the Last Days. Now, there was a, a, a general in the British Army uh, called Balfour, General Balfour. And he is reading this Light for the Last Days. And he comes across it, and it's written in 18. 86. 1886, 31 years before anything happens in 1917. So listen to this. This is what Grattan Guinness had written, which General Balfour had read. The year 1917 is doubly indicated in prophecy as a final crisis date in which the seven times punishment runs out. There can be no question that those who will live to see this year, 1917, will have reached one of the most important, perhaps the most momentous of these terminal years of crisis. Dr. Grattan Guinness in the year 1886 wrote that. Now, this General Belvoir, uh, Belvoir, sorry, Belvoir, he, he came to another man who becomes a general too. And his name was uh, Edmund Allenby. And he comes to Allenby and he says, will you go and take Jerusalem for us and be like a jewel in our crown? Now there have been many, many generals who had went to try and take Jerusalem. And every single one of them came home with their tail between their legs. They couldn't release Jerusalem from this Islamic, Muslim, uh, Turkish, Ottoman Empire. And so what happened, he said, no, and I'm paraphrasing, he says, there's no way I'm going to do this. Everyone that's went has come home, and they've come home in shame. 
And he says, well, I want to show you something. And he showed him Dr. Grattan Guinness working out the seven times punishment of the house of Judah. He says, this is the year when God is going to liberate Jerusalem. And he showed him the scriptures that we have read. And so there are two Christian generals. And so Allenby gets his forces and they go to the land of the Middle East and fighting breaks out. Now, the Turkish Ottoman Empire, it took in the nations of Turkey, Syria, Palestine, Jordan, Iraq, Iran, and what's now known as the Stan countries, the other countries. Now listen to this here, and the Balkan states as well. That's why you find there's Muslims in some of the Balkan states as well. Now notice this. The empire's expanse in 1914 at the beginning of World War I, the Ottoman Empire was 613,000 square miles. In 1917, when Allenby liberates it from their dominion and power, after he liberates it, it starts to dry up. They start to retreat more and more. They start to get smaller and shrink, and all those countries start to retreat. They lose their power. And they had populated right around that fertile crescent on the river Euphrates. And what happened? The river Euphrates prophetically was drying out. The people were starting to, their power was drying out. They were coming just back to guard themselves in what's Turkey today. Now stay with me on this. So how was it liberated? General Allenby comes with his little by-wing planes. And there's bloodshed all around Palestine when he gets to Jerusalem. He sends number 14 bomber squadron over the city walls of Jerusalem flying and dropping leaflets telling the Turks to surrender. And as they're dropping uh, these leaflets, we find that these young lions, you know, British lion is flying over there. And these young lions, as it says in Isaiah, the Lord is the lion of Judah. These Christian young lions are flying over. And Britain is then labeled as the lion as well. So God is using this, as he said in Isaiah 31 and verse 4. Like a lion, young lion, roaring on his prey. He flies over through these soldiers, as it were, using these men, dropping leaflets. And Allenby tells them, don't drop a bomb and don't fire a shot. And they don't. Now listen to what happens. As the number 14 bomber squadron are flying over, they see the these planes coming and they look like giant birds in the sky. And what's happening? Protecting without any damage done to Jerusalem. What is happening is this. As birds flying, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem, he says. Can you see how God has sent them over? And he's fulfilling what Isaiah 31 and verse 5 tells us. Like birds flying over. And there wasn't a bomb dropped, not a shot fired. And the Turks dropped their weapons. And they gave up. And they came out of Jerusalem. And on the 9th of December 1917, Allenby walked in the Jaffa Gate of Jerusalem. And liberated it. The seven times punishment of Judah was over. Now, that is very important, for this is 100 years after it. Why? Well, you'll have to come back tomorrow night when we do that. Because what happens is this. 
Jesus prophesied that the fig tree would start to shoot forth. Behold the fig tree and all the trees of the field, he says. What does he mean? He's speaking about the Jewish nation. It wasn't here. And all of a sudden, now Britain has it in their charge. And the Jews start coming to Jerusalem. And the fig tree nation starts to develop. But we need to tell you that tomorrow night. And then we'll go from there into something else. Showing you how now it's there for Armageddon. And we're going to show you how these young lions in Ezekiel's prophecy will come and say, Art thou come to take a spoil? When Russia comes, as Russia's in Syria and I, we're going to show you that. You see how it's all planned out? We'll show you that as the week goes on. So let me finish with this here. In the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 12, there's another prophecy that people don't, most people don't realize is there. And this is what it says. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. What do you mean, Daniel? Let me read it again. Daniel 12 and verse 12. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. What does that mean? Let me tell you what it means. When Muhammad in 622 on his flight from Medina, when Muhammad had those visions sitting that, that uh, Apollyon and Abaddon from Revelation chapter 9, the, the star of Satan fallen from heaven, and he sent it's Gabriel the angel, and that's what they're told. And nevertheless, when this uh, demonic spirit shows himself and gives revelation of things to Muhammad, Muhammad brings it to his own people and he has to flee from, from Medina and he goes to Mecca. And what's known then comes into being, it becomes known as the Hegira calendar. The Hegira calendar is the Islamic calendar. And so it starts from 622 AD. 622 AD, and here in Daniel's prophecy, Blessed is he that, that waiteth and cometh to a thousand three hundred five and thirty days. That's one thousand three hundred and thirty-five days. He says, if you wait to this, you're going to see something. When you take 622 AD and you add a thousand three hundred and thirty-five days, you know when that brings you to? 1917. 1917. Do you know General Alan B's name? Alan N. In the Arabic, that's how they pronounce it, Al-Nabi. Do you know what it means? It comes from one of their Islamic uh, caliphate prophecies. And do you know what it says? There'll be a prophet of God that comes. And they heard Al-Nabi and they thought that he was a prophet of God. They dropped tools and saw birds flying. And what happens? The fig tree comes in to grow. The Jewish nation in all the war we're going to look at Jerusalem shall be a burdensome stone. Everybody's burdened with it. And then comes Russia and Iran and the Stan states. They start encroaching like you see Russia today now, right down into Syria. And then you see America and the British Lion and the Commonwealth again that God had raised up. Just like you're seeing what's happened this year, last year 
a year anniversary on the 23rd of June of Brexit coming out of the European Union. That beast of Europe that God says, come out of her. Come out of her. And we're coming out of her in time. Why? Because God is raising up Britain. And now he's taking the United States from an Islamic president. And he's now raising up. And he's raising the two brethren up again. And he's bringing them together. What for? For the battle of Armageddon. For the battle of Armageddon. You know, there's another little prophecy. And it's in the book of Haggai, chapter 2 and verse 18. There's a little telltale that says, it mentions the date, 4 and 20th day of the ninth month. Do you know when the 4 and 20th day of the ninth month is? In our calendar, the 9th of December. On the 9th of December, General Allenby wouldn't walk in the gate, or wouldn't ride in on his horse in the gate, he'd get off his horse. And he said, only Jesus will come back. Only he alone is worthy to ride in as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he walked in like a servant. And you can look it up online and you'll see the pictures of Allenby in his uniform, with his horse at his side, and all the troops liberating Jerusalem without any shot being fired. This is the significance of the year 1917. The year of the Bolshevik Revolution. The year of the rise of communism. The year of the visions of Fatima. Which then produced the flag of the European Union. Can you see God in charge? God in control. Now if this is what God says and everything comes to pass and it's true, here's something I want to ask you. When God says, when Jesus says you must be born again, when Jesus says no man cometh unto the Father but by me, when Jesus says that he is the only exclusive way, And Jesus says, if you're not saved and forgiven of your sin, that you will not enter the kingdom of God. And he means what he says. He says, you must get right with me. And you must trust in my finished work. Are you saved? God bless his word to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I know they're big subjects. I mean, like Pastor Eric, and you know, when you're in them so much, you can just bring them out, you know, and you use pointers to try and just trigger your mind, and it's hard to take in. But maybe you would get it and even download it when it goes online, or maybe you could get a CD. If Tom used to have the the, the, the ability to do CDs and all there, don't you? So you can get get your CDs, listen to it, and go through it with the scriptures again. And see God sovereign. So tomorrow night we're going to look at the fig tree. Now the way has opened up. The fig tree's coming out. All the trees. We're going to look at nations that have sprung out in these last lot of years out of nowhere. Behold the fig tree and all the tree. When you see our branches shooting forth, know that summer is nights even at the doors. He says, no, I'm coming back. So bring somebody with you. And let's fill the place tomorrow night. God bless you all. Pastor.